Hey, how's it going? Uh, great to be preaching this morning. And uh, it's a bit of a bittersweet day today as this is the last uh, message in our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been such an encouraging series uh, and I think a really timely word for us and, and a lot of challenging things in it. Uh, but God has helped us see him more clearly and driven us towards himself. And uh, this morning we're going to be looking at the end of chapter 12. And Mpoh is going to be reading the scripture for us this morning. So I'm going to hand over to her. Hi, Parkers Community Church. My name is Mpo Mwepadira, and I'll be doing the scripture reading this morning on Ecclesiastes 12, verse 8 to 14. And I hope you're all having a lovely Sunday morning and, yeah, just keeping warm and staying safe. Um, and here we go. Absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. In addition to the teacher being a wise man, he constantly taught the people knowledge. He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. These, the sayings are given by one shepherd. But beyond these, my son, be warned, there is no end to the making of many books, and much study wearies the body. When all has been heard, the conclusion of the matter is this, fear God and keep his commands, because this is for all humanity. For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. And I hope you enjoy the sermon today. Thanks, Simpoor. Uh, as I said, today is the last sermon in our series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And uh, Solomon has now, after his grand thought experiment, he's reached his final thoughts and, and the conclusion of everything he has been speaking about the whole time. And he's about to present to us the, the fruit of his findings uh, as we consider the meaning of life and all that it's about. And just as we consider that the meaning of life, uh, I thought it might be fun uh, at best and maybe just a bit insightful as to what people think around the world to go to the Google and uh, in the search bar there, just to type in the meaning of life is. And uh, I'm sure if you've done that you, you, or, or typed in something, you'll see that several suggestions come up. I just wanted to see what, what they would say, uh, what words of wisdom the Google could offer us. And um, the first thing it says was the meaning of life is to be happy. Sounds great. The second thing was a bit confusing. It says the meaning of life is not to be happy. Uh, third thing offered a bit of uh, clarification for us. It says, the meaning of life is not happiness, it's usefulness. Uh, and maybe the fourth suggestion coming from some uh, sad people says, the meaning of life is that it stops. Well, I'm, I'm sure you're grateful like I was for these pearls of wisdom. Uh, but this question about the meaning of life and the purpose of life is one that has been asked throughout 
our history. People have, have asked this question, wanting to know, why am I here? What is it all for? What does it all matter? Even if we look at our own lives, sometimes we can go through lives, our lives and just feel like something's missing. Like maybe it's, it's maybe not the way things should be, that it could be better, that, that, that we have this thing in our heart of an understanding of the way things should be and how things could uh, piece together in a more coherent, uh, better, more satisfying way. If we con consider the global uh, situation at the moment, it's much the same. Uh, the world seems to be um, losing its way. Uh, depression is increasing, anxiety is increasing, stress is in increasing, job satisfaction is decreasing. There, there's just so much pain and brokenness around us. And I think we, we can all realize um, that, that there must be more. There, there must be something more to this life. Because when we consider all that's going on around us, it's not unreasonable to sometimes feel, what's the point? What is the point? And that's some of what Solomon has uh, described throughout this book. There's that phrase that, that comes up again in chapter 12, verse 8. He says, absolute futility, says the teacher. Everything is futile. Other translations use the word meaningless. Or, or, or vanity, meaningless, meaningless, or, or vanity, vanity. And it's interesting that he ends the book uh, quoting that again because he also started the book by saying that. In chapter 1 he says, absolute futility, says the teacher, absolute futility. Everything is futile. What does a person gain for all his efforts that he labors at under the sun? And so he's asking the question, it just seems like it, there must be more. It seems like something's missing. And so what he's encouraging us with, his essential point is to see that life is a gift and we have so many great things in this life uh, to have and to experience. But in and of themselves, they will not be enough and it will seem like something is missing, uh, that it is meaningless in and of itself. And so we can go through life grasping at straws and experiencing everything that we can see with our eyes and experience with our senses and still feel like there must be more. And his essential encouragement to us is this, the, the things under the sun are a gift, but they are also limited. They're also limited in what they can give for us. And in and of themselves, they can't be enough. And so what he's been encouraging us to realize, friends, is that if we are going to be more deeply satisfied and fulfilled in this life, if life is going to make more sense, we have to look above the sun. We have to look to God and how life, um, seeing God rightly, when we look above us, it puts everything in its place in the here and the now. This is some of the conclusion he gets to uh, in the end of his book when he uh, distills his wisdom for us. And when he gives, him, when he gives us the fruits of his uh, thought experience, experiment, in verse 13 of chapter 12, he says this, all has been heard. He says, fear God and keep his commands. 
fear God and keep his commands. That's his um, conclusion. When he says fear God, he's not talking about hunkering down in terror. He's talking about something much better than that. He's talking about being in awe of God, revering him, worshipping him, seeing him for who he is. It's talking about recognizing God's holiness and greatness. Uh, And this is something that he's been taking us on a journey towards throughout uh, the book. A few things that he's calling us to recognize, and it it starts with that, that God is supreme. That's the first thing I want us to look at together, to recognize God's supremacy to us. He started off this kind of thought in, in Chapter 3, verse 14, by saying, um, I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of Him. Just that sovereignty that He's painting for us here, that everything God does is permanent. It will last forever. That everything God does is perfect. There is no adding to it or taking away. And that everything God does is praiseworthy. That God works so that people will be in awe of Him. That's the point of His activity. Uh, And He's saying that this is incredibly good for us. Because when we consider life, when we consider all the crazy things going on around us, even in this season, globally and locally, it just... It seems like things are falling apart and our default action might be to be angry at God. But he's reminding us that actually what God is doing is helping us be in awe of Him. And I know sometimes that is so confusing for us, but I think if we knew everything God knew, if we saw everything as clearly as He did, all the pieces together across the globe uh, with every situation, we would, we would see things the way he sees things and we would trust him. And I know for us that's hard, that is hard in the here and now to see things clearly. Our hearts tend towards anger, but God's heart is that we would worship him and experience the freedom and joy that comes uh, with seeing him as not just a, a supreme, harsh dictator, no, but, but, a, but an absolutely sovereign, loving father. Because that's who he is to us. He is a supreme loving Father. It's so important for us to remember that, that especially in tough times, God is working for our good and for His glory. Charles Spurgeon says that when you cannot uh, trace God's hand, we can trust His heart. We know that He loves us. We know that He's in control. We know that He's sovereign. We know that He's working for our good. And so Solomon encourages us to fear God, to recognize his power and sovereignty and also his grace, that it might produce in us awe and worship. And he's been doing this throughout the whole book. This, you might say, is the purpose of what he's been trying to achieve, is to encourage us to recognize God's supremacy over our lives, over the world, in all things, as the creator and sustainer and fulfiller of all things. See what he says in in, uh, verse 9 of chapter 12. He says, in addition to the teacher being a wise man, just a bit of self-flattery there, uh, he constantly taught the people knowledge. 
He weighed, explored, and arranged many proverbs. The teacher sought to find delightful sayings and write words of truth accurately. The sayings of the wise are like cattle prods, and those from masters of collections are like firmly embedded nails. The sayings are given by one shepherd. So Solomon saying, saying that he's done all the hard work of thinking about the meaning of life. He, he has explored, uh, weighed, uh, interrogated uh, all these things. Uh, and, he, and he's telling us about the purpose uh, of where all of that thinking has led him and where uh, he's encouraging us uh, that it would lead us. He says that um, it, it would lead us towards God, right? In verse 12, he says that, I mean, we could go on and write books and books, mountains and libraries of books that fill the, all the earth with ph- philosophical thinking about um, the truth and who God is and, and all of these things of the meaning of life. But what he says is that this has a purpose, and that's to lead us towards God. He gives that imagery there, a shepherding imagery of truth being like cattle prods and, and embedded nails. And although that was an obvious imagery of the time in shepherding, the, the shepherds would have a long stick with a, sort of like a nail at the end of it. That when the sheep would go astray or go off the path, they would nudge the sheep uh, with that, with that uh, stick back in line. And it would get the, the sheep heading back on the right path. And that, that's what he's saying all this wisdom is intended to do for us. That it would help us see God rightly and respond accordingly by following him. That it would lead us to the path of life uh, and enable us to continue following him uh, in the way of truth. And he says something else there, that these are inspired words, that they're given by God. He says that they were given by one shepherd. I think he's trying to make the point and to make this abundantly clear to us. God's desire and his heart for us is that we would be in awe of him and follow him and put him first in our lives. That before we go astray off the path, and start chasing and running and veering towards a hundred other things. God's supremacy in our lives is the most important thing. For our own joy, for our own good, and for His glory. This is so good for us. Following Him is the path of life and joy and freedom. And this is central to what Solomon is saying. He's saying, fear God and keep his commandments. That's his conclusion. Fear God. Just that word of awe and worship about recognizing God's supremacy in our lives. This is so important for us. Because Solomon knows, like in his own heart, every human is a natural worshiper. And we're always going to be glorifying something. We're always going to be running after something, celebrating something, building our life on something. Like he did. He had all the resources, money, time, people. He had everything to chase anything he wanted. And he did that. In, in the book, you can see his thought experiment about how hard he tried to find meaning in that. And how hard he looked for meaning in this. And we'll deal with some of that a bit later. But his fruit is that ultimately, if we are going to make sense of this life and we're going to find meaning and fulfillment 
It's going to come from God being supreme in our life and worshipping Him first and foremost. Fear God and keep His commandments. We have so many things in this life to enjoy and value as God's gifts to us. But the problem comes when we pursue these other things as the primary love of our hearts. And there's an amazing book, a really helpful book on this. Uh, you might want to read by Paul Tripp uh, called Or Why It Matters for Everything We Think, Say and Do. Obviously, the whole book is about this idea of awe and how being in awe of God uh, reorders and puts everything in our lives into its right place and how we are natural worshippers and always in awe of something and how it um, shapes our whole life and and this is the one thing he says about seeing the gifts God has given to us uh, uh, um, rightly as they awaken a desire in our hearts for ultimately God and to put him first supremely above everything else this is what he says If awesome things in creation become your God, the God who created those things will not own your awe. Horizontal awe is meant to do one thing, stimulate vertical awe. And so that's what Solomon is um, encouraging us towards here, is to recognize God's supremacy, that he uh, comes first for our joy and for his glory. But then to secondly, practically outwork that by reorienting our search for meaning. That's the second thing I want us to look at is reorienting our search. Now we've called this series Ecclesiastes, The Search for Meaning. Uh, I think it's such a great book as it deals with some of the deepest longings of our hearts. Uh, And we know that just as humans, we're wired for a sense of a purpose and meaning and satisfaction. We want life to mean something and our lives to count. Uh, but sometimes life can be frustrating because life is short. We, we, we often want something of permanence, something that endures, but life is short. We know that life can sometimes feel elusive, like we're just almost there, but just sort of grasping at straws. Sometimes life is um, unsatisfying. Uh, and just full of pain and struggle. Uh, and so we know that, that we want to live uh, a life of meaning and satisfaction and have that with us uh, and have something that lasts. But this life can feel frustrating at times. Uh, and that is sort of what Solomon has dealt with in the book when he says, futile, futile. It's, 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 a, it's the science of a man who has reached the end of chasing everything but God. And come to a point of uh, almost despair in those things. Realizing ultimately, while they matter, while they are blessings, while they are gifts. Chasing them as the first things in our hearts. As the first things in our lives is a futile exercise. And so he looks at several things. He's looked at chasing knowledge. And being the wisest person. He, he, he's looked at pleasure. He's looked at uh, career. He's looked at possessions and wealth. He's looked at social status. He's looked at purpose. He's looked at relationships. We, we could go on and on. Now, as I said, these are extremely good things. These are God's gifts to us. 
But the problem comes in when these good things become ultimate things and we look to them for our sense of identity and meaning and significance. That's what he's saying. Meaningless, meaningless. Because these things, as great as they are, they are limited in what they can offer us. They are simply meant to whet our appetite for the real thing. And so what is helping us understand here is that it's one thing to see these things as blessings. Blessings to enjoy. It's quite another thing to treat these as bedrocks of meaning and significance. And we have to realize that there are consequences to chasing these other things as our primary means, as, as bedrocks of meaning and significance. Firstly, it corrupts the blessing, the gifts, because we're, we're expecting them to be more than they were ever intended to be. And so it corrupts the beauty within them uh, and crushes them. And secondly, it frustrates us because we know that they were never intended to be everything for us. They were intended just to whet our appetite for the real thing. And this is so, sort of what Augustine descri uh, describes when he prayed this. He says, God, you have made us for yourself and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. Life can sometimes feel like you're on this treadmill running after something. Some, maybe you're not even sure what it is, but there's just this sense of restlessness and frustration. This might be a word for you this morning. Ecclesiastes chapter 3, Solomon even says this. He says that every human, God has set eternity into the human heart. And it's a natural desires, desire of ours to long for uh, something that matters, to long for meaning and significance in this life. What he's reminding us of again and challenging us towards is that if we're going to look under the sun to answer our search for meaning, we'll miss it. We have to look above the sun and all the good things in our life, all, all the blessings, all the gifts from God to us are meant to arouse uh, and wake up a sense for something greater, God himself. Uh, we, we quoted this before in, in, I think, one of the first weeks of this series, but I'm going to quote it again because it's just so helpful for us. This is C.S. Lewis, and he says this, the Christian says, creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. Men feel sexual desire. Well, there is such a thing as sex. If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy. The most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it, to suggest the real thing. If that is so, I must take care, on the one hand, never to despise uh, or to be unthankful for these earthly blessings. And on the other hand, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. 
I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on uh, to that country and to help others do the same. That's a beautiful thing, isn't it? That's what C.S. Lewis is encouraging us towards, is to reorient our search for meaning. To look to God uh, and to find that in Him. I think I'd love to just remind us as a community, um, if you're part of Parker's Community Church uh, and listening into this, um, early in, early at the beginning of this year, Doug preached a, a message just after he, he came back from um, his sabbatical at the end of last year. And uh, he came back and we, we were waiting to hear, okay, like, what, what did God say to you? What, what word do you have for us as a community? Uh, and we were all listening for our prophet to come down the mountain with a word for us. <clears throat> and, he, and he preached a, a wonderful message uh, from Philippians about being found in him, found in God. Uh, if you want to listen to it again, you can go onto our website. Uh, you can see our sermon archive and have a listen there. But that message being found in him. Uh, maybe our, our resident prophet knew something of the year 2020 would turn into. But that is an encouraging message for us, even this morning. Uh, this requires intentional reordering of, of the pursuits of our hearts. And would we be these people that, that, that are found in Him, that build our lives on Him, that look to Him for our meaning and significance as we trust in Him? That's a word for us to remember again, um, that we want to trust God. Uh, but this also has to impact our daily activity. Uh, and so that's what Solomon says next. He says that fearing God, taking Him seriously, uh, has to result in a changed life of obedience. And so that's the third thing, is that we, we, we are called to respond in, in stewardship. Life is, is stewardship. See what he says in verse 13. He says, fear God and keep his commands. Fear God and keep his commands. For, because this is for all humanity. Just that line, he says, keep his commands. That's what Solomon is saying to us, is that obeying God is for our good. Living with God is the number one of our, of our, in our lives, not, not just in our, in our, in our, uh, um, in our affections and, and in our thoughts, but also in the way we behave and the way we love others and the way we, um, uh, act. He's calling us not just to lip service or, or, or to empty confessions of faith, but to, to um, a life that is proven, the fear of God is proven by a life that is transformed, uh, to live in the freedom of all that God is. And I don't think many of us consider obedience to be freedom. We often think of obedience as slavery and free reign as freedom. Uh, but, but the Bible tells us that it's the exact opposite. That following God is the best thing we can do. Solomon even says, it says that, yeah, fear God and keep His commands because this is for all humanity. Some other translations say, for this is the full duty of man. I think what he's saying is, we are at our most human when we are 
obeying God and keeping His commands. Because we're going to be living in the freedom He intended for us. God is not a killjoy. His commands are intended to give us joy and to protect us joy, our joy uh, as we follow Him, uh, as we pursue Him, as we build our lives on Him. Uh, this is coming, let's remember, from a guy who has pursued everything else in life, Solomon. He has pursued every other avenue of possible joy and he says that it is futile, futile. And so he says that this is the full sum of, human, of, of existence, of life. He's tried to bend the rules and find life in everything else. He says he's come up short and they have been found wanting. And his encouragement to us today is to pursue God for our own joy, for, for God's glory. And that we would uh, long and live for Him uh, as, as we find a happy and full and satisfied and joyful life in following Him with all our hearts. That is what He intends for us. He's encouraging us to live today in light of then. When I say life is stewardship, listen to what uh, Solomon says for us. In, in verse 14, he says, For God will bring every act to judgment, including every hidden thing, whether good or evil. Life is stewardship because we all have to give an account. There is a coming judgment. Every hidden thing, good and evil. Uh, this is good news for those who have been sinned against, because God is a God of justice. Uh, this is also encouraging to us as we live a life uh, of stewardship today that, that is set free to obey God and live in the fullness of everything He desires for us. I'd love to just uh, end this, this, this morning, this point, with uh, three quick encouragements for us as we consider the hope of the coming judgment, uh, the hope of, of a life that, that longs to keep His commands. Uh, and the first thing is this, is that we are invited and encouraged to trust in the God of the gospel. That um, if we believe in Jesus, he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. And we don't have to live our lives in terror and fear of what might happen. He has accomplished it. He has achieved our salvation for us. And we receive it. We can't achieve it ourselves. That we can't disqualify ourselves from his grace. And that we get to live in the truth of all that He has already done for us. Tetelestai, it is finished. Trust in the grace of the gospel. Secondly, I'd love to encourage us to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. We need His strength. We need His power to help us. We need Him to come enable us and sustain us to live these lives. To anoint us. To grow us. To transform us. We, we need Him more than we need our next breath. Without the power of God, we will be bankrupt in, our, in and of ourselves. In John 15, Jesus reminds us, without uh, me, you can do nothing. We are powerless without Him. So let's trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to get into us and to help us uh, as we live for Him. And then lastly, just that choice of resolving to live for Him. That determination to um, follow God with all our hearts. To, to kill the sin we've become complacent about, to find joy in Him, to be bold in conversations, to pursue 
Him as the primary joy of our hearts. And I'd love to just encourage you uh, today, just that word when it says, God will judge even the hidden things. There's an invitation for you in that. It's maybe especially in the hidden things as we follow God, that we have an, we have an opportunity to come to God in reading His Word and in prayer, to, to be filled, to be encouraged, to um, be in a relationship with Him. Those are choices, those are disciplines, spiritual disciplines every day that are available to those of us in Christ. Uh, and, and it would be a great thing for us um, that Christ would reign in our hearts, that we would be found in Him, that we would receive His joy. And maybe most importantly, just as we conclude this series, that that search for meaning, that we would get off the treadmill of chasing the things that will only frustrate us and never fully satisfy the deepest longings of our heart, but press into Him, the one who made us for Himself, the one who loves us, the one who died to redeem us, the one who longs to meet with us day by day in the gospel as we draw near Him. Let's pray together. Jesus, we're so thankful for your encouragement in the gospel that uh, you have done it all to win us to yourself, that uh, you have um, died to redeem us, that you have bought us by your blood, that uh, those who believe in you um, will never be forsaken, but that you have brought us into your family and into a relationship with you. And every bit of pursuing you only comes from that. We don't pursue you to earn you. You've done all the work of bringing us to yourselves even before we did anything. And it's because of that that we want to pursue you even more for our own joy, that we might know you deeply and be found in you. We pray, God, that you would help us day by day see your supremacy, that you would enable us to uh, see the things that we chase after for our ultimate meaning and joy, that you would help us put them in their right place, that they are blessings and gifts, many of them, uh, and that we would thank you for that but that we wouldn't be tempted to look for them for what only you can give us. We, we know that you have made us for yourself. And we want to say again this morning that we are yours. We love you and we thank you and we choose you. Enable us by your Holy Spirit. Uh, put your power within us to chase after you with more um, resilience and force than maybe we ever have. Enable us once again, God, to uh, see you more clearly and fall more deeply in love with you as we enjoy all that you have for us in the gospel uh, and we um, just uh, run after you with all our hearts.